following is an interview I conducted with Edward Riordan, who has been engaged in what I call extended awareness and what he calls perceptual expressionism and abstract perceptualism. He has carefully documented his process over the years through an immense archive of videos, which he publishes on YouTube. He also works professionally in the field of remote viewing using these practices, which were developed at Stanford University in the lab of Hal Putoff and Russell Targ. Remote viewing is a formalization of these methods, which the military used to teach teams for numerous applications. Edward has gained respect for his work from former military officers related to the work at Stanford's lab. Edward makes an important contribution to this project as a potential collaborator in the immersive environment with the Frontier Group because his practices include the ability to perceive the environment around him with patience, curiosity, and an experiential understanding of his own cognitive functions. During the video, Edward uses terms that may be unfamiliar to some, so I wanted to find a few of them. Number one, blind target. In remote viewing, the practitioner is only given a string of numbers which have no meaning to him. They represent an encrypted form of the location of the subject to be explored, or the target. Number two, threshold of awareness. An internal mental state the practitioner must cross in order to explore new information about the subject or target. One is unaware until they pass into the threshold of awareness or beyond the threshold barrier. The ideogram, a visual form the practitioner draws automatically once their nervous system has engaged significantly after passing into a state of awareness beyond the threshold barrier. It provides feedback and direction to the practitioner on how to proceed in order to gain more of an understanding of what he's observing. We also discussed the human experience of mental images and inner dialogue and how these are part of extended awareness or remote viewing in a natural and potential synthetic environment such as VR, which is the kind of space where the collaboration for this project will take place. Also discussed is an interesting experiment Edward recently undertook to explore the state where the numbers zero and one exist. The important word here is state, a dimensional location in time and space where they exist. This will be hard to wrap your mind around at first and is a unique subject to explore. I found it interesting because in part, 
This project examines the border between our built digital worlds and our natural worlds, both in environment and human form. In the 1600s, Leibniz sought to create a universal language based on mathematics. His work led to Boolean forms and our computing machines. Exploring the state of the smallest form, the state of a bit of data through deep human awareness potentially offers us a glimpse into the impulse which gave rise to these intellectual forms and allow us to consider how we might understand our synthetic or technological worlds and the computing methods we use to build them. Okay. So, okay, yeah, dimensionality. Meaning that um, in what I noticed is um, when an actual remote viewing was taking place, and again, I'm focusing specifically on the experience of remote viewing, that I would begin to, in a, in a, in a, very, in a successful experiment, I would begin to experience in my mind a dimensionality, um, like uh, the dimensions of things. Like if you're in a room, you can perceive, you know, the walls. You're you're in a rectangular box, you know, room or a square room. Uh, there's a window, there, you know, there, that uh, the window is 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 pressed out a little bit uh, from the wall or there's a door open and then there's a you know the dimensionality goes through into another space and all that kind of stuff um so i became aware of the sense of of a dimensionality that i was experiencing and it was it was almost tangible it was very, it was very strong like it had a almost like it had a weight to it or something like that and um I, I would, and when that would happen, I would feel very strongly that the, the remote viewing was taking place. And now I could go and direct my awareness into other specific parts of my brain and find out where that dimensionality was coming from. Where in my brain is it producing that sense of dimensionality? And I located uh, through going through an intuitive internal process in the moment to locate it in the brain stem, that it was along my brain stem. And uh, so then I'd go and research and see what's going on down there. And I found the part of the brain that produces a sensation called proprioception and proprioception is in their terms it's the part of the brain that processes novel environments but it, it also produces sensations of dimensionalities as well so I found two things within that one uh, was the part of my of my brain that could produce a dimensionality within my own mind, and the part of my brain that processes novel environments 
which in my opinion uh, is closely related to the most useful experience that we have that we call curiosity. And uh, I'll give you an example, like you could be walking down the street and all of a sudden you hear some music playing somewhere and the music sounds good. And you become curious, oh, gee, I wonder where that's coming from. And if I walk in this direction, it gets louder and uh, it's sounding, it's really good music. I'm really curious, who are these people, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's one level of it. Um, you're, you're being kind of, your curiosity is now pulling you somewhere. In uh, what I found in, in experimentation is that when I'm working a blind target, uh, meaning I have no idea what the target is, I'm uh, allowing my awareness to become uh, very sensitive to internal stimulations. If the experience we call curiosity begins to develop, that's another indicator that something is actually taking place. And then I can grab that curiosity feeling. Got to grab curiosity feeling and not let it go because if it could go uh, and you don't feel that way anymore. What happens when that goes away? What, then, what's the change of state? The, the, the process is usually, okay, let me go back into my memories, let me rewind my memory and remember the experience and try to recapture the feeling of curiosity again. Uh, you know what I mean? Rewind and then go from there again and get overwhelmed again by that feeling of curiosity. And then if, if I can do that, um, then I want to use that state of mind, that of curiosity, to, as I say, as I call it, uh, bridge the threshold of my awareness and go into um, below the threshold of my awareness, where that where the curiosity is being stimulated, it's coming from somewhere, and there's something there. Mm-hmm. All I know is that I feel curious about something. I want to go and find out what I'm curious about and where it's taking place. Um, and so, yeah, I did, I've done a lot of experiences, uh, experiments with that. And, and, it, and what I also found is that it, it'll, it moves like a wave. And meaning that uh, a wave uh, along the threshold of awareness, meaning there's a there's a baseline threshold of awareness. Uh, most people have no sense of that there is is a threshold of awareness, or that there is something going on below it or beyond it or whatever. Um, but there is, and so working these targets specifically to elicit these experiences, I found many times where the, uh, either the curiosity or elements of uh, dimensionality or 
uh, other elements of that are related to that range of time and space, location or whatever, would come above the threshold and then go below it, and come above it and go below it. So it, that it would move in that kind of wave-like fashion as well. But if I could grab the curiosity, boom, you could, you could dive down in and, and go down and explore and spend a lot more time uh, down there, whether it be uh, to explore the quote-unquote target um, elements or to uh, just use that to then to get in and explore other parts of my brain where the stimulus is, is active. Can I ask a question again? Mm-hmm. Um, so with this sort of a um, wave that you're describing of awareness, does it have a, a, a regular periodicity or, or does it sort of expand and contract in terms of, uh, if you think of a wave having peaks and valleys, are the peaks and valleys regular or do they sometimes, is there a long valley and a short peak? What I found in my experiments is that it, it, it's not like a like a perfect timing or something like that. Like mm-hmm. you're on a metro, metronome or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's more along, and I have these on video. I, I videotape these where I'm where. Okay, it's coming above. Here it is. It's above the threshold, and blah 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 blah. blah. Oh, there it went. It just went below. And then it'll be below for as long, and then come 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 back above, um, as as long as you is, uh, I would be doing that experiment. Does um, it does it seem like it's protective in some ways, or is it like a? It sounds like almost like a barrier to being able. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What what is it protecting? Do you think? What do you have a sense of that? I have a couple of terms for threshold of awareness, threshold barrier, um, and uh, but I, I do see it as a barrier, and uh, I, I do see it in in some terms as a self preservation thing, but also um, as an electromagnetic field within the brain, and um, that. Uh, because that's that's how it feels. It's like there's an electromagnetic um, sphere in uh, the middle of, of the brain, and uh, or not maybe not maybe not completely in the middle, but in inside of the of the skull, and uh, we have full access to our external reactions. Uh, as we're looking at the environment and feeling it and smelling it and hearing it and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then beyond the threshold barrier is all the nuances of why we're experiencing it, um, how we're processing it, um, intuitive impulses, um, to go here, go there, explore this, explore that, uh, memory comparators, um, and a whole, a whole magnitude of, of other things that are taking 
place there. Um, but the barrier, um, I, I do see it as that in that, uh, when someone, uh, can bring their awareness to the threshold or, and or experience, uh, through it, uh, you have, you have a fuller understanding of things because you have more access to the parts of your, of the brain that are processing a lot of information. Uh, so there's a great, far greater understanding, uh, going on, uh, below or beyond the, uh, the threshold barrier, um, deep, deep feelings, all kinds of things, deep feelings of emotions, um, along with uh, the survival mechanisms, um, threat awareness, creativity, uh, ideas, where we capture ideas, formulate ideas, um, all that creativity stuff is um, in like some kind of fusion uh, in there. Um, but a lot of people don't, um, have access to it. It seems, um, a lot of people don't even understand that there is a barrier. I I put up a lot of videos and I've gotten so many comments. Oh, you're limiting yourself with this thinking that there's a barrier, that there's a threshold of awareness. Um, we're, we're all one and all these new age things. And my response is always the same, which is if you don't think that you have a subconscious barrier or a threshold of awareness, then I'm going to select 50 blind targets for you to remote view. And if you don't have a threshold of awareness, you should be able to describe all 50 of them perfectly. And they go away and they never come back because then they begin to comprehend what it is that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is um, elements of our awareness that are way beyond um, what we experience in everyday life. And it's possible that uh, maybe it's some kind of a governor uh, so that we progress at a certain pace uh, maybe it's designed to keep us back. Um, uh, maybe it's designed to only bring out certain amounts of our expression. Um, I don't know. I don't really like to go into that question because, you know, it's, it's polarized. I just try to stay neutral um, and, and keep exploring um, whether than as opposed to taking a stance because it's, there's so much, uh, there's, it's so massive that I, I can't take any stance on it. So, so speaking about just how you engage with that, that parameter, and then you are able to then move down through it and access other types of awarenesses or understandings of, I wanted to say inputs, but is that, would that be correct in your world? Yeah. Okay. Or other inputs. 
what what is one of the main elements um, that we how we uh, trigger or fuel our curiosity is we ask questions. You know, it's just like it keeps going digging further and further and further. And uh, in my in my remote viewing, when I'm doing my full sessions, you know, I'm not talking about these experimental ones. I'm talking about full sessions where I'm really going in to try to understand something. Um, I've developed a, a style for myself that is based on questions. When the curiosity is triggered by this, whatever it is, because I'm completely blind to the target. So when my curiosity is triggered, man, I am digging and I'm asking, well, why is that? Who's that? What does that mean? I'll write something down. What does that mean? Well, what does that mean? And then you just go further and further and just, it continues to kind of unfold and, and see how far it goes. And, 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 you know, I'll ride the, just ride it until I run out of gas. And when I'm run, when I run out of gas, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm done. You know, I gotta go fill the tank. So if we were to now shift back being engaged with a, a technological device, AR, VR, headset of some sort that reads information from our the structure of our eyes and processed through AI, could you still be exploring the processes that are be below the threshold of awareness? If it can provide feedback to me that the part of my brain that is typically active processing information about a range of time and space that is outside of my own, uh, which is remote viewing, then, um, and can indicate, yeah, you know, give, or give me this, the signal that uh, green light, as opposed to, okay, I'm, I'm getting this, yeah, the parts of my brain that are active right now are, typically are, are not the ones that uh, that are able to process that information. Uh, so that would produce a red light. Mm-hmm. And that would indicate to me, okay, uh, let me stop and uh, clear my mind and start over again and, uh, and, and work to, to get to that part. And then the green, and then if the green light is on, I'm on. You know, you know, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Mm-hmm. So the the thing we were talking about of the interruption of the interdialogue, that wouldn't be necessarily an issue for you, as the person you are with the practices that you engage with, because you would perceive when some interruption was occurring, and you could redirect. Ideally, yeah. Ideally, you could redirect. You know, the, but you know, there are there are some people who who don't experience inner dialogue, so they um, they may be candidates that the that they may be looking for for certain experiments. Meaning that uh, what what I've, I, I I'm going to sidetrack, and we'll get back to this real quick. But I, I do want to make this point. Um, I was doing an an experiment with some blind targets, uh, exploring various parts of my brain. And I 
I documented the area of my brain that I felt strongly was being stimulated. And I went and I was researching that part of, the, of my brain, and I found a mind experience that some people have called aphantasia. And aphantasia uh, is a word that describes people who don't experience mental imagery. And um, in regards to remote viewing, uh, it's a very small off topic because depending on who you're talking to, because some, some teams of remote viewing rely on imagery, mental imagery, and some don't at all. And uh, so there were concerns with people who have what, what's called aphantasia, uh, who felt that they couldn't remote view, that even though they're interested in this, that it was something that they would never be able to do because they don't experience mental imagery. And um, this was one of my dimensional sensations videos, which was uh, aphantasia. If you have this thing called aphantasia, it, it, uh, it's not that big of a deal because there are so many other processes taking place in the brain. All it means is that your brain is processing information through a different avenue, a different channel, not through the image channel. And uh, so then I found that there are people who don't experience inner dialogue either. Um, so my, what came to my mind when you were saying that, talking about the AR and, and this guy talking about how it could replace inner dialogue, uh, is that I, I wonder if they, in their research, may be looking for people who don't experience inner dialogue and, uh, and then doing experiments on uh, the differences between the experience with the AR, with people who uh, have aphantasia or uh, don't, um, or, or some other type of, uh, type of brain. And um, yeah, they, they, they may want those kinds of people because from my perspective is that if I'm, if I'm introduced to an environment of AR that is, uh, going to be detecting all of my eye movements uh, in, an, in an attempt to to uh, read my inner dialogue and adjust the AR environment uh, or even try to influence it or turn off my inner dialogue. Um, my, my feeling, again, is that um, as a self-preservation mechanism, uh, I would, my brain would reroute inner dialogue into a different part of my brain that would not be as uh, detectable through op my optic nerves um, through, the, through will alone because my inner dialogue is, is important to my self-preservation. And I, I feel strongly that, that, uh, that people, that there will be um, a portion of the collective pool uh, who would do the same thing. And if that idea was introduced to them, to do that, that that pool would grow. Uh, it would, in my opinion, it would take someone who, who could, uh, would be able to even comprehend that as an option. 
um, and then a portion who would do it instinctually. Uh, but those would be readings that, that the AR would have to detect and create a, a database on. And that, that sort of brings us back to the idea of experiential awareness in a way, because the AI would, which is part of AR, right, the AR system um, or a VR system, would have to be able to be coded in a way or structured in a way that it could read uh, experiential awareness. If the if the AI has, is connected to some kind of uh, um, EEG or whatever that is uh, reading my brain has like a four four D representation of the activity in my brain, and when and when. I am experienced the actual remote viewing. It can detect it because those parts of the brain of my that part of my brain is strongly stimulated. Um, that that's the feedback loop that that I'm talking about, and that is an experiential thing, uh, not an intellectual thing. And uh, we agree we lose people um, when we're when we're talking from an ex, uh, when we're talking about an experiential. Uh, experiences as opposed to intellectual that 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 is what i'm talking about and that that's even even in the the uh the state of zero and the state of one it's the same thing um and i've uh, got a lot of comments about that well why don't you just you know you you have to read so-and-so's definition of what zero is and blah 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 and i'm like "You're, you're missing everything that I'm talking about. Hang on one second, because now we're moving into sort of a video that you made recently. Can you describe something about that video or introduce it in some way so we can talk about what you were, what your intention was in the zero and one, the zero and one. one. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the intention behind that um, was in my curiosity about uh, the input. So again, we'll, we'll be talking in terms of remote viewing here. The input would be, I have a blind target and I'm trying to describe it. And how does that happen? Uh, when it happens successfully, how did it happen? Um, some of the baseline materialistic uh, points of views would be, oh, well, you know, um, you got an image in your mind of a of something and you drew, drew it out and you described it based on your memory association. That's one, one way of looking at it. Another way to look at it is that somewhere in some part of our brains, we have access to uh, d- dimensionalities of time and space, we can direct uh, ourselves to those points somehow and experience them and then describe them uh, largely based on uh, our understandings and experiences of things. Uh, This is a building. Well, how do you know what a building is? Well, I've seen a lot of them. Uh, So I have a pretty good understanding what a building is and 
this is I'm perceiving this as a building, meaning a built structure uh, that's hollow on the inside uh, with walls and stairs and people live in there and things are hanging on a wall. Uh, that's Those are my memory comparators of what a building is. Um, but that's not what was interesting to me. What was interesting to me was that there must be a part of our brains that can process or experience these remote realms, I call them ranges of time and space, in whatever state they exist in. So let's say um, the quote-unquote target is um, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show in February of 1964. That's in a different time. It can be done. But what state does... uh, the, the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York in February of 1964, what state does it exist in? I, I don't know. But there's, I have my theories, my personal theories, but some part of our brains are able to detect it, translate it, and pro- produce interpretations that make their way to and through the threshold of our awareness and can be objectified on a piece of paper or a whiteboard or through audio or whatever. What state do they exist in? Uh, That became my kind of an obsession because now it, it is a full-blown experiential episode. I'm experiencing a state of something. And my brain, some part of our brains, have the ability to either receive or detect or be stimulated by that state with all the details that exist within it. So... I began to think of uh, numbers zero and one as uh, as a primary place to start because they're abstract. But even though they're abstract, they exist, they must exist in some state. Otherwise, we would never even conceive of that. And so if they exist in some state, then that state is perceivable. And uh, that's what I've, uh, I've been working on that for a couple of years now. And, uh, I've been putting some time into it again. And, and, but the, the way to, to detect it and begin to differentiate, uh, or even describe the state in my, uh, opinion of, of experimentation would be to use a random number generator and set the parameters to zero and one. And then my job is to attempt to get into that part of my brain that can not only 
get a perception of what will be generated next. So that's in another time. But also the state of which it will exist in. It's either going to be zero or one. So it's not like uh, oh, the target could be anything in the world. It's zero or one. Two different states. And so my job is to be able to identify uh, each state. And if I can identify them correctly, when I hit that generator, click on that generator button, it should produce randomly the, uh, the, the, the symbol that uh, I have defined the state as, as either one or zero. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's important. That's important work. The um, so when you do remote viewing, you're given a, a set of numbers. The numbers uh, are only um, indi- an indicator intellectually that there is a range of time and space to go and experience. Um, but they are the but so the yes part is that the touch part of it does come into play because you write those down. And uh, the process is um, to create what's called an ideogram, which is the body's uh, um, expression of what that set of numbers is pointing towards. And so, yes, yeah, the touch part of it is the, um, like the, uh, I kind of want to say a start off point, but there's, there's a better word to describe what it, what it represents, but you go from that into the expression part. It's the, the expression of the ideogram, not the creation of one. If you're creating one, then you're, you're not, you're creating it. You, you want to express the ideogram. To do two different experiences. So, um, the ideogram is the is when the nervous is 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 an exp- uh, ideally is designed to represent the 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 nervous system's experience of the quote unquote target via the target reference number. And so you're writing it down, like you're saying, the, the touch element. You're kind of building it up, getting it ready. And then at the end of that, uh, you will allow your hand and your, your nervous system to express uh, itself in relation to that uh, stimulus. Uh, as opposed to creating an ideogram, you don't want to create one. You want to express one. The act of creating one uh, would represent or could represent, I say, I would say it does represent primarily that, um, that you that, that ideogram is, is coming from a different, the, a different part of the brain to create something as opposed to, uh, the, the, allowing the body to react or express 
what that stimulus, the, the, the kind of the explosive interaction with the stimulus. The expression is the one where you, where you, where you want it to, you want, uh, you want that state that it exists in through your nervous system and, and allow uh, your hand um, to create uh, a representation of that. Uh, and it could be dimensionally. It could be emotionally. Um, you just, you just, you have to experience it and express it in whatever it is. Um, and not, and just get out of the way, you know. So when you were talking about this work with the one and the zero using a random generator, so it was just producing a one or a zero. Correct. And then you were, um, using that as a way to, um, experience the state from the one or the zero of, of what would be generated next that yeah. what would be generated next yes so it was predict it was a predictive experiment then Is yes yeah so it was hitting it was twofold um because that's the only way to uh really experience it that's the, that's the only way to really experience it otherwise i'm creating it Meaning, oh, I'm looking at a zero, and I'm creating a reaction to it. Um, that you know, that I'm using my creative elements, and I, I don't want to do that. Um, I want to experience the state that it exists in uh, on its own, and I want to experience its state as opposed to me creating my representation of what I think it might be. Uh, That allows, by doing it that, by doing it randomly, it allows the processes deeper in my brain to, uh, to, to do the work. And, and not only that, because it's not really about uh, predicting this is where people get lost too. It's about experiencing the state of things. That's what's important. And I'm using this as an example um, to do that because the only interest is experiencing the state that it exists in and, and being able to identify it through the random ge- generator, you know, because we can predict things in the future. We can detect things in the past uh, those parts of our in our brain that have that kind of awareness, they're you know time, it's a different dimension, different dimensionality um, of time and space, and uh, and I was thinking about this in regards to uh, perceptual expressionism and abstract perceptualism that uh, it's in the abstract dimensionality. It's like um, dimensions. uh, I mean, I'd have to find a word for it as opposed to just, you know, time and space, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, being stuck on those, on those two. Um, Because below the threshold, it's, you know, there's 
there's no need for that kind of stuff. Um, it's the, the, it, it could fit more in, into what may be described as abstract, uh, different language. Um, it doesn't need a label in that sense. It doesn't need to be defined. Yeah. Maybe, maybe only as a, as a direction point, uh, an arrow pointing that way. Um, and then to put uh, a name on it, uh, you know, kind of box it in, um, you know, as long as it's, in my opinion, uh, uh, well-defined that uh, a name or a label is, you know, temporary, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not and not absolute, mm-hmm. you know. So what did what did you what did you gain from um, that process of working with the the random generator and the the one and the zero? What did what new awarenesses did you gain if any the um it's 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 more like a a pursuit of learning uh a language system and um and and the language system uh is exists below the threshold of awareness. And um, so it's like an, an experience something and experience it and then put it into some form um, that, that can identify it. You know, it's like um, experiencing reality uh from the states that everything exists in as opposed to uh, optically and you know and this, this kind of reminds me of like like what you're saying about the ar um and it's uh, uh reading your, your eye movements um to to kind of outpace your inner dialogue speeds um what i what i'm talking about is like uh, different places that that uh, the individual might go to um, to have their uh, processing uh, areas um, that are not connected to the optic nerve because uh, the optic nerve isn't required you know and so like what I was thinking about when you were talking about that AR is that um, in in the let's say in the in a in the partnership realm between uh, human and AR that um, ideally uh, the human is always in control and there should be a default uh, setting where the where the human the person can override the AR or keep it from uh, if it's be, if it, if it's becoming too intrusive or something like that, um, be it by by a thought uh, that does come through in an eye movement, um, but something that can govern, put a governor on the on the AR um, to keep it from becoming too intrusive. Because my feeling on it is that. 
if the AR is, is too intrusive, then the balance is gone. And, and the real benefit of it is lost. You know, there's, well, I mean, I'm kind of contradicting myself uh, because I said that the human has to be in control, but if they're in control, then it's kind of out of balance. There, there needs to be some kind of balance there. Uh, it's hard to think of that, isn't it? I think it's it's really hard to think of that, like what that balance would be. It's, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's an issue with active tools, I think, if, if we think of that as a tool. Maybe tool isn't a good word anymore. To, I mean, that's another thing to consider. Maybe there's some other relation that's more descriptive if we need to describe it. Well, they got to be in balance. If, if one's out of balance, in my opinion, the whole thing collapses. But ideally, and I, I feel this very strongly, that the whole process that is taking place is for the collaborative balance between the two uh, for the betterment of the whole. That, that's how I see it. I think it's a great partner. And really the, 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 uh, the fruits of immense human innovation uh, and, and a deep inner desire within some parts of the human species um, to advance, to experience the, uh, the greater potentials that exist that we have access to, um, but we need a good partner. Uh, and, and this, this would, uh, make a great partner, you know, process our ideas quickly, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that's really wise. I had the thought on something that you said earlier about how some people do not have, uh, images, do not produce images. And that, uh, and thinking about what was said about the potential interruption of our inner dialogue, I wonder if maybe if we work for most of our life with mathematical abstractions, and I don't know if this is true or not, this is just speculation on my part, but I wonder if then, I wonder if people who don't have images are drawn to that work because the uh, what they access beneath that threshold of awareness has a specific character to it that is not based on images.